Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Join me in in Matthew 11. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of what the Lord spoke to me in October of 2022 because it is a long-term assignment of which we are obedient to um, give heed to. The Lord said to me in October of 2022, we are entering a season that will require the walk of faith. A season that will require the walk of faith. Well, that's no hill for a climber, right? That's, that's not a difficult thing for a faith builder. We are faith builders, so a walk of faith is right up our alley. It's right down our, our lane of expertise. We are faith builders. And he says, in addition to that, as if it was an explanation to specify about this walk of faith, he added another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. Another depth of skill. This will require another depth of skill in walking in the Spirit. So as good as you have been in walking in the Spirit, as as proficient as you may be in walking in the Spirit, Prepare your mind to get even more proficient, to become even more skilled in walking in the Spirit so that we are so accurate and in line with the movings of the Spirit of God that we are easy to be directed, easy to be maneuvered, easy to be adjusted in our life so that God never has any difficulty bringing into our life His help his provision, his resources. He gave us five things. I'm going to just go through them quickly. Number one, he said, know the leading with the certainty. Know the leading of the Holy Spirit with the certainty. This is not a time for it to take you three days to figure out if that was God or you. This is the time for, we, for us to become so confident in how he speaks to us so confident in our ability to know the difference between what's me and what's him or, or, or other things that are trying to be a distraction to me, this is the time to become very, very aware of how he speaks to us. Then he said, practice obedience. Practice obedience. So obedience, of course, means don't be disobedient. But when he says practice obedience, that brings on even a greater uh, uh, element to it. So that it it could be there were things that God spoke to you to do and you've been delaying in doing them. You've been putting them off to what seems like a better time for you. And the quickest thing to do is whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, do it. It's the doer of the word that is blessed in all of his doings. Not the hearer, but the doer. So practicing obedience it takes on even more than just don't be disobedient. 
it means to become quick to obey. Okay? And then he said develop, number three, develop humility and the love walk. Humility and the love walk. They need to be developed. It, just because we have the love of God as a fruit of the Spirit doesn't mean we're developed. The Bible says we can become perfected in the love of God by obeying the Word, right? So there is a development to the humility and the love walk. And then he said, number four, the fruit of the Spirit is vital. The fruit of the Spirit is vital. And again, they must be cultivated. They're not automatic. They're not... The, you don't automatically yield to them. You have to choose them. You have to feed on the Word. Let the Spirit of God identify to you and let those fruit become cultivated. And then finally, he said, trust in God, His ways and His Word. Those are three. The trust in God, the trusting in His ways, trusting in His Word. These are safeguards. And we're taking our, our time to deal with specific ones as the Holy Spirit is identifying to me which ones we're ready to cover. And we started a few weeks ago uh, right at the onset of the Christmas season talking about there is help for the humble. Do you believe that today? Yeah, amen. Do you believe that it says, the Word of God says that God gives more grace to the humble that God gives, what does He do to the proud? God resists the proud. We don't want to be there. I don't want God to resist me. He resists the proud, but He gives grace. And one of the ways for us to identify His grace is God's willingness to use all of His resources on our behalf, even though we don't deserve it, not based on our merit, but based on His goodness, right? All of that grace, who, that help, who's it coming to? So, so we could recognize from that, and I'm, I'm quoting from 1 Peter. Uh, uh, let's just go ahead and look at it. 1 Peter 5. Hallelujah. I actually want to, I'm going to look at 1 Peter and I'm also going to look at James, but we'll go to 1 Peter 5 first. And look at verse 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to the other and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with it. All of you be clothed with humility. All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. And you know we got to look at that in the Amplified Bible because it goes a step beyond in the Amplified Bible. God resists the proud. He resists the proud. Hallelujah. And He gives grace to the humble. It says, uh, go to the next slide on there. Clothe, apron yourselves, all of you, with humility as the garb of a servant so that its covering cannot possibly be stripped from you. Can, can we become that skilled in humility that it can't be ripped off of us? We are so clothed in humility to the point that nothing's going to move it off of us. No offense, somebody getting up in our face, somebody pulling over in the lane in front of us, 
Uh, nothing is going to, to move this to the place that it's stripped away from us. With freedom from pride and arrogance toward one another. For God sets himself against the proud, the insolent, the overbearing, the disdainful, the presumptuous, the boastful. And he opposes, frustrates, and defeats them. I don't want to be in that number. Don't count me over there. I do not want God to oppose me. I need his help. I do not want him to frustrate the things I'm trying to do. I do not want him to defeat the, the things that I'm trying to move forward in. It says he gives grace, favor, and blessing to the humble. So if God gives grace to the humble, we know that not everybody gets the grace of God. Not everybody's getting the grace of God. It's available for who? The humble. And God is asking us to develop ourselves in humility. Now look at James 4. Now, now we see why he's asking. He wants to exalt us. He wants to promote us. But the only way that we qualify for promotion is humility. Without it, we can't be promoted. We can't be exalted. We can't be lifted up. God, He wants to. Look at James 4 and verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. God is not in the business of humbling us. It's not His job description. It is not God's part to humble you or to humble me. Some people will say that, well, God's humbling me. If you're being humbled, there's somewhere that you've tried to exalt yourself. It's not God. It, it, that would be like jumping off the roof and saying, God, knock me off the roof. If you jumped and fell off the roof, God didn't have to do it. The law of gravity did it for us. Right? The law of gravity did it, not God. Yes, God established the law of gravity, but he also gave us wisdom to work in line with the law of gravity so that it doesn't become a, a detriment to us. And so God has established a spiritual law that we see in the Word of God. Let's finish uh, James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. That's what He's looking for. That's what He's aiming for. When He says, I need you to develop humility, He's aiming at being able to lift you up, to promote you, to exalt you to a place where you can uh, uh, do more. But he's not humbling you to get you to do there. He's giving you his wisdom of how the law works. You want to see the law? You want to see the law in the spirit realm that works like the law of gravity. It's in Luke 14. Jesus said it multiple times. This is one of the times that he said it. Luke 14, 11. And he said it every time he encountered ambition in his disciples. Every time he encountered them looking at each other and saying, who's going to be the most important in the kingdom? He, he pulled out this lesson and he gave them this lesson. And then he, he said this, he, now this is the spiritual law, whosoever exalts himself shall be abased. 
Luke 14, 11. Whoever exalts himself shall be abased. So God doesn't have to do it. Whoever jumps off the roof will fall off the roof. God's not doing it. It's the jumping off. So here's the wisdom. Don't jump off the roof. Here's the wisdom. Don't exalt yourself. Because whoever tries to exalt themselves, guess what's going to happen? By default, without God having to do anything other than the fact that He established this as a spiritual law, whoever tries to exalt himself shall be abased. And he that humbles himself, this is just as much spiritual law as the first part. He that humbles himself, guess what's going to happen? Shall be exalted. God wants to exalt us. But He wants us to be safe in that exalting. He wants us to be able to handle it when He does. And this is spiritual maturity. Humility is part of spiritual maturity. If you find a humble person, you find someone who is mature in some things of the Spirit. A person who is, is not developed in humility and they're brash and boastful and disdainful and always got to have the last word and always got to be right and always got to be seeking attention and always got to be in the middle of the conversation, always got to be the one we're talking about, that person's not mature in the things of the Spirit because the humility helps us mature in the things of the Spirit. So let's look... I'm going because it's been a while and because the Lord told me don't hurry through this because we need to get it. I want to just review a few more things, okay? Now, Matthew 11 is where I asked you to go originally and we're going to go back there and I'm going to ask for the Amplified in verse 29. Matthew 11, verse 29 and uh, Jesus is teaching His disciples and so we are His disciples. So this applies for you and I. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So there is a yoke for us. That yoke is not a burden or a bondage because he's in the yoke with me. It's it's keeping us in the same lane with him. The yoke that we have on is is not hard, it's not heavy, it's light and easy, right? Right? And it keeps us in His lane. It keeps us tethered to Him. If you have two horses in the same yoke in a team, you know, if you've seen the Westerns with the teams of horses, those horses are tied together. They can't go in separate directions. They have to go in the same direction. They have to follow the same path. And Jesus wants us on His path. He wants us in a place where He's carrying the heavy load And we're just walking with Him. He's doing all the heavy pulling. He's doing the heavy lifting. Amen? And we're just staying in His lane. So He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. This is what I want you to learn about me. I am gentle, meek. Now, is meekness the fruit of the Spirit that you and I have? Galatians 5.22 lists it, doesn't it? Meekness is there as a fruit or a characteristic of our spirit because the Spirit of God dwells in us. He's the vine. Jesus is the vine. 
the life of the Father is in the vine. We're the branches, so the life of the Father that's in the vine is in the branch. So the meekness that we have originated from Him. So meekness here is available. We don't have to wait to get it. We just have to cultivate it. He says, learn this about me. I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest. So the, the, the recompense for you learning this, what you're going to get, what's going to come into your life as you become developed in humility is rest. Because ambition will wear you down. Ambition and human ambition going after things to try for the wrong motive for the wrong reasons with the with that that subtle uh drive of i've got to be right that pride behind it that it will wear you out it's draining because it doesn't originate from god so he said you'll find rest Relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. So as we learn His humility, we're going to see His rest, His refreshing in our lives. Amen? Amen. Because He's the one pulling the yoke. I'm just walking in the lane with Him. I'm just tethered to Him. I'm just, I'm just following His lead. Amen. Now, because... Humility has been so wrongly defined in our society. We've got to renew the mind. Because all throughout your TV experience, in all different genres, they, they put up a picture of humility as the nerdy, weak person. And so a lot of people think humility or meekness is best defined as weakness. But that's not Bible. To be meek requires great spiritual strength and maturity. <laughs> so we've got to let the Word of God define for us what is this meekness? What is this humility? Show me Bible humility. Let me see the portrait of the humble man from the Bible. Jesus is the portrait. Jesus is the one who, who portrays specifically what Bible humility really looks like. Amen? Amen? And we see it in contrast when we look at Adam's rebellion and Jesus' humility. By Adam's rebellion, all of mankind fell under the control of sin and by that, Satan became their master. But by Jesus' humility, all, all who call on His name are redeemed from that control of the enemy. How? By coming into that same obedience with Him. Amen? So the rebellion is connected to disobedience. And the humility is connected to obedience. We're going to see how they fit together with one of the things God said, practice obedience. Because Jesus is the author of salvation to all who obey Him. Yeah. Right? 
And so his humility is the root of our redemption. Philippians chapter 2 says that Jesus humbled himself. Did he humble himself to have to set aside his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and come into the earth, into a human body, not pretending to be a man, but actually becoming a man? Do you think that he humbled himself to do that? He humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. He made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. God didn't humble him. He humbled himself. Say this with me. I I humble myself myself before God. God. So so what happened when when he humbled himself? He became what? Obedient. So when I humble myself, here's what we're looking for is a description of Bible humility. Humility is being obedient to the will of God. Humility is being obedient to the will of God. When I humble myself, that's one of the aspects. It's not the full description, but we're seeing, we're seeing elements of humility. He humbled himself and became obedient to the will of God, the death, even the death of the cross. What happened when Jesus humbled himself? See the law? See the law? He humbled himself and what happened? God, this is why God has highly exalted him. So God exalted him because he humbled himself and became obedient. Hallelujah. So our redemption, the root, one of the roots of our redemption is the humility of Jesus Christ. And we are in him. We are crucified together with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet it is not I. It's not you and I that live. It's who's living in us? It's Christ. And his humility is living in me. So if I, if I yield to him, I'm going to walk in humility. Now, if I, if I demand my own way today and play that Burger King song, have it your way today, I won't be yielding to him because we have an option. We've got to choose. We've got to choose the, the life of God and not the desires of the flesh. So, so the root of our redemption is in humility. Jesus had to humble himself to even redeem us. And his humility is available to us. So when we look at Jesus, I just want to go over a few of the things that Jesus said. Of himself. To see this picture, this Bible portrait of a a humble man. Jesus said about himself in John 5 and verse 19, The Son can do nothing of himself. The Son can do nothing of himself. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, said 
the Son can do nothing of Himself. Who's He depending on? God. Okay, John chapter 5, verse 30. I can of my... Jesus is speaking again. I can of my own self do nothing. Of myself, what can I do? Now, who who is He depending on? God. And then He said... In the same verse, I seek not my own will. Who's who's he submitted to? Whose will is he submitted to? God's will. I'm not, I seek not my own will. I'm submitted to the will of God. John 6, 38. Again, I didn't, I came not to do my own will. I'm not here to do my will. I'm not here on my assignment. I'm humble. So we could say humble is submitted. We could say humble is dependent. We're looking for a Bible portrait. I want to see how Jesus portrayed humility. I'm not sure if I can. What did I say? Humble is submitted and humble is dependent. I'm submitted to His will. And you know, that takes practice. Because, I mean, you can get over in your own head and start believing for things using your God-given faith to believe for things God didn't design for you. I've done it. I've seen other people do it. And thankfully, God redirected me and said, I have better for you. You're believing for something I didn't, I, that I didn't design for you. I have something better for you. He redirected me. But see, I had to, what, what did that take? He didn't do it against my will. I had to say, Lord, what do you want for me? I had to submit my will. I had to come to him and I had to inquire of the Lord. Is that what you want me to keep believing for? And he said, it's not my best for you, Michelle. I have better for you. So not my will, but your will. I can do nothing of myself. Jesus is showing us what, a Bible portrait, a portrayal of humility really looks like. Here's one, John 7, 16. He said, my doctrine is not mine. Jesus never put a trademark on any sermon he ever preached. He never said, that's my sermon, you can't preach it. I I got this revelation all by myself. This is my revelation, right? He never took credit for a sermon. He said, every sermon, I got it from God. My Father gave me the revelation of what to say. I only say what my Father has sent me to say. So he said, my doctrine is not mine. John 8, 28, 8, 28, I do nothing of myself. So what is he saying? It's not me doing the healings. He, in some places it says he healed all that came to him. But he's saying, it's not me. It's the greater one in me. It's the Father in me who's doing the healings. It's the Father in me who who raised that uh, widow of Nain's son off the funeral uh, cart. It's the Father in me who made Bartimaeus see again. It's the Father in me who made the lame to walk. It's the Father in me who healed that man uh, uh, by the, the, the pool of Bethesda. It's the Father in me. 
He said, I, I do nothing of myself. And they could say, you multiplied the fish. He said, that wasn't me. You, you, you walked on the water. That wasn't me either. But, but we saw blind eyes see. That wasn't me. It was God working through me. Is that what Acts 10 says? How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How? Why? For God was with him. Jesus is recognizing it's not me, it's God with me. In his anointing, God is with me. He has anointed me. But it's his anointing on me. It's him with me. I can of my own self do nothing. John 8, 42, he said, I didn't come of myself, but he sent me. John 8, 50, he said, I seek not my own glory. John 14, 10, the words I speak, they are not from myself. John 14, 24, the word, it's not mine. So in all of these things, we're seeing that Jesus gave all the glory to God. He was totally dependent on God. And he was totally submitted to God. And so I, I bring from the scripture an understanding that Bible humility is an entire dependence on God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves, Psalm 100 says. I didn't make myself. I'm not making my heart beat right now. I'm not the one that put the air in my lungs. I'm not the one that, that created this brain in my body. Any job that I am capable of doing is because of the brain God gave me and the hands God gave me and the strength He put in me. It's Him. And so I can't climb a corporate ladder and take the accolades for anything that I could do because if he hadn't given me the body and the brain and the strength and the heartbeat and the breath in my lungs, I couldn't have even climbed the ladder. It's him. It's him. And the more submitted I am to him. So, so meekness, humility is a recognition that without him I can do nothing. Is that what Jesus, was Jesus singing that song? Without the Father I can do nothing. Amen? Amen? Jesus was recognizing His dependence upon God and giving us that same example. Yes. Amen? Amen? Now, we also see that Jesus did some teaching, quite a bit of teaching in the Scripture concerning this humility. And we're going to begin looking in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, He says two things here in this Sermon on the Mount that we can glean from concerning this humility. And the first one is in verse 3. And if you'll pull up the Amplified for me, it will help us because many of us have read it in the King James and it went right over our head. Let me say, I read it in the King James and I'm like, poor in spirit, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Right? Well, what does poor in spirit mean? Poor in spirit. What does poor in spirit mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, we've been so, so uh, taught of our place in Christ 
that we need to recognize that this is talking about without Christ. I would be, uh, uh, without him, what could I do? Nothing. I'm the righteousness of God where? Outside of him I'm not. But in him I am. I am, I am uh, an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ because of him. Not because of me. Because of him. It's my relationship with Jesus. It's my submission to him as Lord that gives me everything I have. So I know that without my relationship with him, I don't have anything. In myself, I realize that I have nothing, so I'm entirely dependent. And that's why the Amplified helps us. It says, uh, uh, go back and let me see the first part. Blessed, happy to be envied, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction in God's favor, are the poor in spirit, the humble. Poor in spirit means humble. So just put it in your King James right there. Poor in spirit means humble. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because everything I have has to be received through my relationship, my submission to Jesus as Lord. So poor in spirit means humble. It means I recognize without Him I can't do this. Without Him I don't have anything. I can't go to God without Jesus. Everything I have comes from Him. So poor in spirit means humble. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now verse 5. Look at verse 5. Blessed. I'm going to go straight to the Amplified. Happy, blissome, joyous, spiritually prosperous, with life, joy, and satisfaction, and favor, and salvation regardless of their outward conditions, are the meek, the mild, the patient, the long-suffering, for they shall inherit the earth. Two things. Ours is the kingdom of heaven, those who are humble. The kingdom of heaven talks about the system. I need the system to work for me here, and I can't get it to work for me if I'm demanding it my way today. I can't get the system, the kingdom of heaven, to work for me if I am uh, uh, insistent on my own way, my own rights. It won't work for me. I could say, well, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I accepted Jesus as Lord. He said, why call you me Lord, Lord? And you don't do. You see me, I just close my eyes. I'm not looking at anybody. Why call you me, Lord, Lord? So, but Lord, I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. He said, okay, if you love me. What did he say? To if you love me, what you going to do? Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. I love you, Lord. Okay, walk in forgiveness with that person who just took your promotion. Bless those who've done you wrong. They do you wrong, bring them a pie. They need a pie. I need to bring them a pie. And I'm not going to spit in the pie. I'm not going to put anything nasty in the pie. 
I'm going to go get a, a, a deluxe Perkins kind of pie. I'm going to bring him a pie. I'm going to bless him real good. I'm going to go get him some dump cake from Monique's Four Seasons Catering. They need some peach dump cake. Because they have done me wrong. I'm going to bless them. And not, not, see what I'm saying? I'm going to bless them. I'm going to do something good for you. Why? Because I'm of my Father which is in heaven. And it's more important that He likes my attitude than I be right with you. It's more important that I be right with Him than to get you back. Amen? Amen? That's humility. That's humility. So he says here that humility is how the kingdom, the system of God works for us and that there is inheriting for us. What are we inheriting? The earth. The earth. That's what he promised Abraham. So in other words, the covenant works through humility. So this humility Jesus is teaching us that it is an element of working things in the, thing, in the system of God. An element of making it work for us. Now, I want to cover a couple of other things in the time that we have left uh, concerning Jesus' teaching on humility. We saw the example of humility in the life of Jesus, but now we're looking at what Jesus taught us in His sermons, in His lessons when he was teaching about humility. Let's look at Luke 9 and let's see how Jesus dealt with ambition in his disciples. Ambition. Can I give you a definition for ambition? Because ambition is something that... uh, We're looking for Bible definitions. Because in the society we live in, they, are, they promote, you need to have some ambition. You need to be reaching for something. You need to be going after something. And even good Christian people tell their children, Honey, you can be anything you want to be. Whoa, 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 whoa. You can be everything God created you to be. You can be all that God created you to be because his design is the perfect design it it would set a child on a course for difficulty for them to look in their especially as children with youthful lusts and 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 all of the ungodly things being presented now for for you to say you choose versus Seek God about what He chose. God already chose. He knew you when you were formed in your mother's womb. Before He formed you in your mother's womb, He'd already ordained. He didn't just do that for the prophet Jeremiah. He did that for every one of us. He already knew His plans for our life. He says, I know the plans that I have for you. He had already ordained our lives, chosen, and God chose big. God has chosen things that will bring you the utmost fulfillment. You are never going to be disappointed when you submit to what God chose for your life. You're not going to come and say, yeah, I got a dud. 
God just gave me an, a, a boring life. God just gave me a, there's not, there, he gave me something. He's going to make me do something I'm going to hate. No, when God created you, he designed you with fulfillment in mind. Amen. He said, the thoughts I have, they are good with an end that's worth looking forward to. Amen. So the, the plans of God for our life are already created. We've got to submit to them and walk them out. We've got to seek God and discover what He planned for us. So ambition, the way that our society portrays it, the way that our society, that ambition is not godly passion. It's not godly commitment or a godly motivation. It, we're talking about a human ambition that is not including the purpose of God. We don't want that. And so Jesus encountered here in Luke chapter 9 a situation with his disciples. I'm going to begin in verse 46. Then there arose a reasoning. Now reasoning means they're disagreeing. Reasoning means they're arguing about this. They are in conflict. There was conflict in Jesus' camp. In Jesus' disciples, what were they conflicted about? There rose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest? He that exalts himself, what's going to happen? Spiritual law shall be abased. They're trying to figure out which of us is going to get the highest rank. Which of us is going to get the greatest position? Who's in charge? Which of us is going to get to, to have the say-so? Right? Well, that's what they'd seen all of their lives. That's what they had seen portrayed as, as that uh, rank and that uh, levels of importance. Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him and said, Whoever shall receive this child in my name receives me. Think about that. Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. Can you imagine a little two-year-old that came bearing a, a message? I'm not listening to that two-year-old. But if that two-year-old was sent with the message, you see what I'm saying? That two-year-old's not coming in saying, y'all listen to me. I'm in charge here. I've been sent. No, he just, I got a message. I'm here to give the message. I, I'm here to, and, and who sent? Where's the power coming from? The one who sent. So listen, they didn't receive Jesus. And God sent him. Right? Because he didn't come the way they thought he would look. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't come with their accolades. He didn't come meeting their criteria. But he was obedient to the Father. So Jesus said, Whoever shall receive me receives him that sent me. For he that is least among you the same shall be great. In other words, it's not your place to try to put yourself 
in the position of importance. That's not your place. You want to be in a position of importance? Find somewhere to serve. He that is least, God's going to make him great. Now, let's look at another example in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. At that time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And God called a little, Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So whoever humbles himself is great in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself is great. God, we want to be great. But we want to be great God's way. We don't want to be great the man's way, the human way. We want to be what God calls great. I don't want to be what people call great. I want to be what God calls great. So whoever shall humble himself, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Matthew 20, verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. He said to her, What do you want? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one at your right hand and the other on the left hand in your kingdom. So she came and asked him for position for her sons. She wanted her sons to have these places of position and authority. And Jesus answered and said, You don't know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said, Now, so the boys aren't sending mama without, they're with her. Mama didn't sneak in alone with the boys, the sons of Zebedee. They're not out there clueless as to what mama's in there talking to Jesus about. They're with her. Mama, you ask him. Mama, go ahead, Mama. Push, pushing Mama up front. Because mothers can be bold, right? You ask. They're like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. We can, we can be baptized with your baptism. We can do it. And Jesus said unto them, You will drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not even mine to give. It's not mine to give, but it shall be given for whom it is prepared of my father. But when the ten heard it, conflict in the camp, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Jesus called them and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. He's identifying the motive. What, what you're really after is you want to be in charge. You don't want to be taking the orders. You want to be given the orders. But it shall not be so among you. 
For whoever will be great, let him be your minister. The word minister means servant. Servant. Whoever is great, how do you become great? Serve. Whoever will be chief, let him be your servant. The many translation of the word uh, in verse 26, it's the word deacon, diakonos, and it means slave in some translations. Serving, committed to serve. You want to be great? Have a servant's heart. You want to be great? Follow instruction. You want to be great? Whatever he says. Whatever he wants. So it's serving God. You want to be great? Serving God. Submit to God's will. Do the will of God. Do the commandment of God. You want to be great? Be a servant. And then he said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Or not to be served, but to serve. I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. And that's why every one of us, when we come into the house of God, we can serve God by serving His people. Every one of us committing to the work of God of loving each other for Him. Amen? So Jesus is correcting that ambition. He's correcting this strife that's among them. And then He... He uh, also gives us an example in Matthew 23 when he is identifying the motive of the Pharisees and the scribes. He says in Matthew 23, the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. And whatever they're bidding you to observe, observe it and do, but don't do what they do. (laughs) In other words, they're teaching and do the teaching that comes from the Word, but don't follow their example because they, they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, and they lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. They're not serving. With all the works they do for, are to be seen of men. That's their motive. That's not our motive. They make broad their... Their phylactery, in other words, these uh, things that make them look religious, enlarging the borders of their garments. They love the uppermost rooms at feasts and chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the market and to be called with the titles. And he's saying, that's, that's the motive. That's their motive. We don't want to have those motives. Amen. Right? And so he says, verse 11, He that is greatest among you, shall be your servant. And here's the rule, the spiritual law, whoever will exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Do you see how he's hammering this home? You want to be great? Humble yourself. You want to be great? Serve God. Serve God. Follow His Word. Amen? And then we see another example in Luke 14, Jesus was teaching. We looked at verse 11, but let's go back and read the first part of this chapter and we'll we'll bring it to a close right here. Luke 14, verse 1 through 11. 
It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. They watched him. And in verses 2 through 4, he heals this man. They're questioning uh, about him healing this man. Verse 5, or verse uh, 7. So I wanted to read the first part so you can see who's in the room. Okay? The chief Pharisees, these people who are questioning him healing people. Why? Because they're looking at him with scrutiny. They're looking at him trying to find something wrong with him. They're looking at him and they're judging him for healing somebody on the Sabbath day. Right? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? He knew what they were thinking. And so uh, he put forth a parable to those who were bidden. Why did he put this parable forth? He marked how they chose out the chief rooms. So this is a correction to the people in the room for their motive. They came in the room and they're saying, what's the most important place for me to sit? What's the place that's going to make me look most prestigious? Where am I going to be noticed? Are they going to see me come in? Are they going to see me when I say, hallelujah? (laughs) Are they going to see me when when I do whatever? You know, are they going to see me when I take my offering up to give it? You know? No. He said they, Jesus could see it. He noticed how they were bringing themselves in and looking for the place of prestige. He says, when you're bidden of any man to a wedding, don't sit down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that invited you and, he, and, and this more honorable man come and say to you, you need to move uh, from this place uh, so I can put this man of honor in your place. Yeah. And you begin with shame to take the lowest room. This is a parable, but he's telling us, we're talking about, I'm going to humble myself so God doesn't have to give the place that he meant for somebody else. Right? But when you are bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room that when he that bade you comes, he may say unto you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. All right, Luke 18, last but not least. Luke 18, verse 9. And he spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves. Who do we depend on? I can do nothing of myself. Right? The words that I speak, the sermons I preach, the revelation, who's it come from? God, right? He spoke this parable to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. (laughs) He wasn't really as much interested in God hearing him or he wouldn't have said the things he said. I mean, if you're really talking to God, are you really going to talk like this? He's, He's hearing himself and he's like, that's right, that's right, that's me. 
all by myself that time I was out in a bag of chips. Yeah. Yeah. Look at how many stars I have on my attendance record. Look at, look at how faithfully I've done that. And look at this and look at that. That's what he begins to say. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Now, you know the publican could hear him. It's like, I hear you. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And? And think about this. God, you gave me my heartbeat. You gave me my brain. You gave me the breath in my lungs. You've, you've given me the house that I have. You've given me the family that I have. Who's getting all the glory? Right? This man is talking about what he's done that in comparison to what God has done is nothing. What God did for him is not even brought up. So he's, he's there. He goes away with all of his... Um, uh, with, with, he's all stirred up about what he's done, not about what God's done. The publican standing afar off would not, uh, would not lift up so much his own eyes to heaven... But he smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Who's he depending on? God, God's mercy, God's help. God, if, 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 if you don't help me. Now listen, I, I said this last night in our, our Hispanic service. I want to say it again. We know that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We know that we're washed in the blood. So for us to say I'm a sinner is not going to give God glory. But for us to recognize why I'm not a sinner, Lord, if it wasn't for the blood, but because of your blood I'm clean today. Thank you for that blood. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross in my place. Because of his sacrifice, I'm justified today. Everything I have is because of what Jesus did. That's honoring God. That's humility. So it's humility to recognize, yes, I'm righteous, but he's the one who made me righteous. Yes, I'm holy, but he's the one who made me holy. And, and so the dependence on God is the key. When, when I'm praying, when I am presenting myself to God, the humility is found in my submission and my dependence. My submission to His will. Trust in the Lord. And lean not to your own understanding. Requires humility. Amen. Because the proud are trusting in themselves. And leaning to their, what they think looks right. But to trust in the Lord. And lean not to natural human reasoning in that moment. Requires that I submit to God. I like what, what Keith Moore said when God had told him to start a church in Branson. 
he didn't have any congregation. He's looking at a building and the people are asking him, you know, how many people are in your congregation? You're the realtor. How many people are in your congregation? He said, we don't have a congregation. And they all, you know, <laughs> you laugh, right? You know, you're, you're here to get a building and you don't have a congregation. And so he's, he's going to the Lord and saying, Lord, Lord, you know, I don't have a congregation. I'm having to sell everything in Tulsa and move here to make this happen. And, and you know, he submitted to it. And people were calling him and saying, are you sure that you're even a pastor? You know, you've been a traveling minister all this time. And, and are you sure that and he said, I finally quit arguing about it in my mind. And when people would ask me, I would say, I would rather give my all obeying what I believe God told me than to fail because I back up and look at what looks right to my mind. I would rather, I would rather give my all in my attempt because what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'm dependent on you. You're the one who's leading me to do this. You're the one who's directing me to do this. You're the one who put this in my, in my heart. And so I'm just going to depend on you. See, the dependence and the submission. Trust in the Lord. Lean not to your own understanding. It requires humility. Jesus said, I've come to do your will, O God. It's written of me in the book. That's what we are. Submitted. And dependent on him. Amen. Father, what you have revealed to us in your word, we embrace it. Say this with me. I embrace, I embrace the, word of God the word of God as my instruction. As my instruction. Help me, Father, Help me, Father. Develop, my develop my humility so that I am dependent upon you and submitted to you in every way, in every aspect, every decision. Teach me, Lord, to seek you, to inquire of you. Forgive me, Father, for every time I have presumed and ran out ahead of you. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah.